So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how's this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Fran. And I'm Dr. Sam. Welcome to Freudian Scripts, the podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch to take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. And as a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and educational purposes only, so please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. Just as a heads up, we may be using movie clips with explicit language and may discuss mature and adult themes and topics. So for today, we're going to switch gears from last week and we're talking about a comedy. When Robert and Nancy became man and wife, their children became stepbrothers. What? This house is a prison! Now, Vernon, you and Dale are going to have to share a room. They're living side by side. What are you doing? I'm burying you. From Columbia Pictures, Nancy and I are retiring. They'll have to team up to hang on to the things they care about most. Welcome to the neighborhood. The neighbor is a Nazi? Step Brothers. So that's right. Today we're going to be putting Step Brothers on the couch. So we wanted to do something pretty different from Goodwill Hunting in a lot of aspects because that was, you know, a different portrayal of therapy, a lot of different themes, um, and we wanted to do something a little bit lighter this week. So let's go ahead and just dive right in. So if you haven't seen Step Brothers, again, like last session, we want you to pause it, go watch it. It's a really funny movie, um, and we think. You can get a lot more out of this episode if you've seen it, especially recently. We both kind of recently rewatched as well. <laughs> um, so the movie it stars Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, and they play Brennan and Dale. They're both in their late ter- uh, late 30s, early 40s, and they are both living with their parents. Um, their parents end up marrying and they move in together, so therefore they become stepbrothers. They also are roommates, so not only are they becoming stepbrothers at the ripe old ages of 39 and 40, but they also are now sharing a bedroom. Um, A lot of sibling rivalry ensues, but eventually they become best friends, which we'll get to a little bit later. Um, And this is a little bit short-lived because their parents do end up separating and they kind of have to cope with that um, as as an issue for them. Yeah, great summary. We did just recently rewatch this movie, and I feel like, you know, very different from Goodwill Hunting, but a classic in its own right. True. <laughs> um, very different themes as well. So, one of the first major themes that we want to start uh, diving right into today is what we call failure to launch. Yeah, so failure to launch, it's not an actual diagnosis. It's not really a term that you'll see in a lot of um, like official literature or anything like that. Um, but the kind of what it describes is individuals who are struggling with the transition to adulthood. So going from kind of like adolescence and young adulthood into a more independent adulthood, oftentimes remaining in the home and being still very dependent on their parents. So not just someone who lives at home because they're wanting to take care of like ailing parents or something like that, but because 
because they themselves are still dependent on on their parents for a lot of things. Yeah, and I think it's a good point that you brought up, Dr. Fran, that this is not an actual diagnosis or even term that, you know, a psychologist or therapist would use or even maybe like to use just because of the negative connotation of the word failure. Um, That kind of makes it seem a little bit like hopeless or that there is no room for growth. Um, So it's more accurate to kind of think of this as, like you mentioned, more of like a delay in that transition. Yeah, and this is actually more common than we might think. So, of course, the movie Step Brothers portrays it in kind of this comical light, um, but research has showed that actually about 15% of individuals between 25 and 35 still live in their household. That was some stats from 2016, so not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and men are a little bit more likely, especially between ages 25 and 40, to live with their parents. So really this the depiction of it is not super uncommon um, just in terms of having adult men living at home or just people in general in their uh, kind of middle adulthood having to stay home for different varying reasons. Um, obviously, the way that it's portrayed is a little bit outlandish and kind of <laughs> comical in that way. But that sense, it's not completely out of the area of like possibility. True. And Dr. Fran, like in the movie Step Brothers, like why do they say Dale and Brennan have had this difficulty launching out on their own? Yeah, so we actually have a clip that kind of sums that up nicely where the parents are talking about why they think they maybe haven't left yet. Let's play it. Why is it that Dale never left? Well, Dale has always coasted off my accomplishments. When he left college his junior year because he said he wanted to join the family business. But you're a medical doctor. Believe me, I've told him that. But he just always says... It's all about who you know. I mean, I don't know where he got this sense of entitlement. Maybe it was his mother passing. What about Brennan? And from what you've told me, his younger brother Derek's been quite successful. Well, certainly when his father and I split, that was difficult for him. And this one time when Brennan was 17 and Derek was 14, and Brennan decided to enter a talent show. He sang a song from an old pirate musical. But Derek got his football buddies to replace the choir and sing, Brennan has a mangina. So in that clip, we really hear them kind of talking about and hypothesizing, like, what's really going on and why each individual um, child or adult has um, kind of stayed at home so long. So we hear Robert, who's the father of Dale or John C. Riley, um, say that he feels like Dale's really just coasted off of his accomplishments. Yeah, I love that scene where he talks about, like, Dale's always said that he just wants to join the family business. And Nancy goes, but you're a medical doctor. (laughs) And Robert, the dad's just like, I know, I've tried to explain it to him. I always thought that was really funny. (laughs) Yeah. And he also makes reference to, you know, part of what might be going on is that Dale had a hard time dealing with his mother passing away, which we can totally understand that, you know, the loss of a parent, especially younger, um, might really impact kind of what's going on in your life and different things like that. We also see something similar come up um, that Nancy hypothesizes might be going on for Brennan, played by Will Ferrell that he really struggled with his parents' divorce. We don't get a lot of information on like when that happened or kind of like how contentious it was or anything like that. Um, But kind of both of them sharing that like something about the changes in the family dynamics and separation from another parent uh, kind of leading to difficulties with that transition into adulthood potentially. Yeah, very true. And I think that's an interesting point about we don't know like the nature of the divorce because Brennan's character never really brings up dad or talks about dad or to our knowledge has interaction with dad. Um, And I think Mm -mm. Dale only mentions his mom once in the Christmas scene when they're decorating the Christmas tree. 
he's wearing like a sweater and Nancy says like nice sweater nice sweater Dale and Dale's like thanks it was my mom's but other than that we don't really hear a lot about the other parents yeah and we have no idea like how his mom passed away like whether it was something expected or unexpected or traumatic Mm -hmm. or so we really don't have a lot of background information but we can tell that clearly these big important events in their lives have really impacted them um, to the point that it's really difficult for them to make that transition into adulthood so maybe dr sam you could tell us a little bit more about like what growing up really means Yeah, I'd be happy to, Dr. Fran. So kind of uh, fascinating that in this comedy that I've seen like a million times, that when you really evaluate it, there are these um, concepts that I actually uh, are big parts of the research that I do. So one of them is adulthood and emerging adulthood. Um, And so what that really means, like becoming an adult, is when one becomes more independent and kind of learns to manage things more on their own and be a little bit more self-sufficient as an individual. And I mean, these are all very kind of complicated things. They don't stand alone. So even like with adulthood, you know, this, the way that we see being an adult has really changed over time. And it's actually becoming a longer process um, and more ambiguous. So, you know, before we could say like back in the day, you were seen to be an adult when you moved out of the house, got married and started a family. Um, And that happened at a much younger age than where we see that now. Um, And there's a lot of different reasons for this, the changes in the economy and even just like the structure to our society. Um, A lot of things seems to have shifted after, you know, the Great uh, Depression, for example, or the last recession that we had. Um, And interestingly, it shows that this is a particular challenge for young men. So they are starting their careers at a later date, moving out of the home at a later date. Um, And I came across across a statistic that showed that before the median age that men were having a full-time career used to be age 26, and now that has even increased to age 30. And this was in 2013. And I think there have been shifts even since then. Yeah, and we can definitely attest to that having spent many years in graduate school before (laughs) reaching our full careers, right? Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it's a long path. Um, <laughs> and that's a great point, though. Uh, there are more people getting more advanced degrees, spending longer times in school, and also just the labor force has shifted. So there used to be more vocational, technical skill type jobs, and those just don't exist in the volumes that they used to. So some men who might have been filtered into careers like that are having a more difficult time finding careers, or it's taking them even longer. Yeah, that and makes a lot of sense. And Brennan and Dale, to my knowledge, doesn't seem like they had completed college. I'm not sure their level of schooling, but they might have been interested in those types of careers, but it doesn't seem like they've sought those either, but they might fall into that category. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting way to think about what's going on with Dale and Brennan from this like completely different, like not even just a psychological framework, but also this kind of more general like societal shifts and like culture and different things like that. And think about how what's going on in the movie kind of relates to that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a different way to watch Step Brothers than usual. It really is. I've never thought about it so deeply before. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for summarizing that for our listeners in terms of thinking about this transition to adulthood. Mm-hmm. Another theme we identified was this idea of family dynamics, the sibling rivalry between <laughs> Brennan and Dale, right? Yes, not only do they become stepbrothers, but they do become roommates. Um, and they have been living independently with their mother or father on their own for who knows how long, right? And now all of a sudden they're having to share their other parent 
Um, and for Dale, he's having Brennan move into his room. So we definitely see conflict from this. And do Brennan and Dale seem to get along from the beginning, Dr. Fran? <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> They kind of come into it already expecting that they're not going to get along, right? So they come in with these expectations and then it's kind of um, like fulfilled. Their expectations are, you know, come to fruition. Um, and it's an interesting display of a, like social psychology concept that we sometimes talk about of like in-group versus out-group bias. So that meaning kind of like people that you're you perceive to be in your group, like your family group or, you know, something else that connects you. You feel really close and bonded to those people versus people who are in the out group or like a group that's different for you. Um, So thinking about like Dale and Robert being a group and Brennan and Nancy being a group and they're kind of aligned. But um, Dale and Brennan really feeling like the other is in this out group and they are like a very hostile towards each other because of that. Exactly. Right. Like they are they're on the outside brennan wants it to be just him and nancy dale wants it to be him and robert um and so we see conflict arise from that i think another interesting way that we can frame it as well is through the realistic conflict theory so this is a theory that discusses that hostility can come also from perceived um limitations on resources so if we think about the parental attention or even money and time and things like that from the parents that dale and brennan are accustomed to they could see the other one as a threat on that as well so even more reason for them to be on the out group and for there to be this hostility yeah definitely and then to make things even more complicated, Dale and Brennan are not the only quote-unquote children in the picture. There's also Nancy's other son and Brennan's brother, Derek. <laughs> so Derek. When, Derek, yes. <laughs> we'll have lots of things to say about Derek, but when he arrives on the scene, you know, I kind of love how Robert just swoons. He is hanging on every word that Derek says. He can't stop calling him impressive and wanting to hear stories. He even yells at Dale, like, Dale, like, shut up. I just want to hear Derek talk, right? So even more kind of building that outgroup mentality where Derek is the ultimate outgroup, at least in uh, Dale's mind. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine, like, this person comes in, like, dad is all, like, affectionate towards him and thinks he's so awesome, and you're like, well, what about me, you know? So, And it seems like Brennan has been feeling that way maybe his entire life. Um, uh, Derek is definitely, like, the golden child. He has a traditionally successful career. He talks about making 550K that year. He has a wife. He has kids. He tells stories about spending time with celebrities, you know, to the outside person he seems like he's got it all and he's the favorite yeah 550k a year is absurd well i guess when you sell helicopters i mean how much do those cost right like <laughs> I don't know. no idea that's not my area of expertise obviously no but when derek does come onto the scene dr fran like what do we see happen with brendan and dale You know, we really see this shift in their relationship. So we go from seeing them in this kind of in-group, out-group to kind of thinking that actually Brennan and Dale might be more aligned than they thought they were because now they're faced with this common enemy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of going back to the like realistic conflict theory. The idea is that when people are united with a common goal, that they're actually more likely to get along and kind of feel like they're more in that in-group versus kind of enemies are in that out-group. So we, there's actually a clip that we wanted to play that kind of shows this shift when (laughs) Brennan and Dale start to maybe like each other a little bit more. Just a little. Let's play a game, all right? On the count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it, just name it, ready? One, two, three. Velociraptor. 
favorite non-pornographic magazine to masturbate to. Good, Good housekeeping. housekeeping. If you were a chick, who's the one guy you would sleep with? John, John Samos. Samos. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> I think that that kind of perfectly demonstrates what Dr. Fran is talking about. They have now developed and created a new in-group based on those similarities they just discussed, as well as their dislike of Derek. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And of course, again, it's just so funny. And like, I love that scene. Like, that's probably one of the most cited or like quoted scenes of like, did we just become best friends? Yeah. Um, but it's just so like the part about like, these ridiculous, very obscure things that they have in common, again, like really bonding them. Yeah, and I mean, we could even probably spend some time, we won't, but why did they even come up with those questions? Like, why are those the questions they feel like are important to ask in this potential future best friend? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and kind of taking it back to the common enemy, Derek. So Dr. Fran, what do we think about Derek? So Derek's a really interesting character, and we wanted to spend just maybe like a minute or two talking about some of our thoughts about Derek and his um, kind of stuff that's going on. He definitely has what we might call like narcissistic tendencies. I'm not going to go so far as to say he would have like narcissistic personality disorder, but there's definitely some features there. Yes. <laughs> um, and just to give you guys a little bit more information on what that looks like. So typically people with narcissistic tendencies might have things like grandiosity, which is like feeling very self-important, like um, thinking really highly of yourself, being really uh, preoccupied and exaggerating different achievements. I mean, we definitely see that he loves talking about how much money he makes and how successful he is and how perfect his life is. Um, and another trait that can come up with narcissism is a lack of empathy. Um, and we'll come to this a little bit more, I think, later in the episode. But we do actually see that Brent, or that um, he does have some empathy towards Brennan mm -hmm. at the end after they've kind of resolved some of their issues. But for the most part, we do see that there is this kind of disconnect between how his actions are impacting other people, especially Brennan. Yeah, very true. He doesn't really seem to like ask his brother questions or um, go out of his way to be kind to his brother. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He's often like making fun of him, being rude, um, kind of belittling him and really just cares about himself and what's going on in his bubble um and yeah i mean he even goes so far as to you know embarrass him in front of his entire school and like get everyone to start chanting these really awful things about him exactly while he's like performing in the play in childhood yeah not nice at all and one of my favorite scenes from the movie actually involves derek um so let's just listen to this all right gang let's really nail it this time here we go a one a two a one two three four She's got a smile that it seems to me Reminds me of childhood memories Where everything was as fresh as a bright blue sky All right, Tommy, you're the oldest. I'm counting on you. Come on. She's got eyes of the bluest skies As if they Vibrato, buddy. All right, all right, Alice, let's go. Flat. It's so flat. I can't even, I didn't even know. You don't even look good while you're singing. The worst thing I've ever heard. This is $1,200 a week for voice lessons, and this is what I get? Okay, I'm going to save it with the solo. Bow, bow, I'm dead. And I can sing high like this. And I can sing high. 
my gosh, that scene gets me every time. And my family will actually recreate and act out that scene in the car. I just love it. And speaking of narcissistic tendencies, Derek just belittles his wife and then says, I have to save it with the solo. So I think that's a good example of his uh, personality in a snapshot. (laughs) You also couldn't see this, obviously, but Dr. Sam and I were dancing throughout that whole (laughs) clip as we were playing it. (laughs) Yeah, and maybe doing some of our own lip syncing. (laughs) Yes, lip syncing, not actual singing. No, not singing. So to completely shift gears, we thought another interesting concept that came up in the movie that we thought people might have some questions about or want to know a little bit more about is sleepwalking. Um, So we see this come up a few different times in the movie. Yes. So Dale and Brennan are actually seen to sleepwalk twice in the movie, and we might share some of that or talk about that a little bit more, too. But when we want to really think about what is sleepwalking, um, I'm going to get a little bit uh, technical or nerdy here, um, so bear with me, but I will define all these terms. But what we wanted to share is that sleepwalking is an actual diagnosis. Um, It's part of a diagnosis called parasomnia, which is basically just any abnormal behavioral um, or experiential or physiological events that occur while someone is asleep and what that really means is it can be anything related to their behavior their experience or what's happening with them physically and the diagnosis is called non-rapid eye movement sleep arousal disorders with the clarification or the specification of sleepwalking Um, and non-rapid eye movement sleep is just a really big word for a period of sleep where they there are no dreams so dreamless sleep kind of the opposite of what you've probably heard with REM sleep where you are having dreams and you can understand why we call it sleepwalking because all of those names are very complicated and long so that's why most people just call it sleepwalking yes things really related to the brain they like to add a lot of very specific details because there are so many things that can happen in the brain so that's why the name is so long and specific yeah and what does sleepwalking look like like to us, right? So when we see someone who is sleepwalking, um, someone might just be moving their head, they might be out of bed, they might be screaming, swearing, um, running around. Uh, What do we see Dale and Brennan do while they're sleepwalking? We see them do some interesting things. So (laughs) we do see the kind of running around. Uh, We see them kind of like mumbling and speaking kind of incoherently. Um, (laughs) And then they each have these kind of unique things that they do that their parents are able to identify that they've been sleepwalking. So Mm -hmm. Brennan, I think, puts his mom's purse in the freezer and Dale puts a pillow in the oven. So these very unusual Uh, behaviors that they do Uh, we also there's a scene where they bring in the christmas tree and presents and things like that (laughs) yeah let's maybe listen to a scene of them sleepwalking and then we can take a little bit of a deeper look into is this real is this what might happen when someone's sleepwalking yeah let's play it why are you giving up i'm not giving up you are you're giving up on our boys but they're 40 I don't care how old they are, Robert. Uh, They're still our children. Well, sometime it's got to matter how old they are. That's all we do. Oh, sweet Jesus. Oh, you know, they'll go back to bed. See, they're sleepwalking. No. No. See, back to bed. They'll be fine. Just nonsense. I want to wake them up. No. Why would you do such a thing? Well, because it's... Never, ever wake up a sleepwalker. See, that, that's it. We no. can't ever do anything. No, but we they have to could let... do real harm to themselves oh, or others. Oh, this is Christmas present. Don't die. Don't, 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 don't. I love that scene. I think it's so <laughs> funny, even though it's just so absurd. 
<laughs> and, you know, even though it is absurd, I will say, like, I think that whoever, you know, wrote this part or was involved in this part, I think they really did do their research because surprisingly, people can really perform some complex behaviors while they're asleep. And people have been known to eat, drive, have sex, or perform other sexual, you know, like activities in their sleep. Um, So kind of walking around and throwing things or moving things around, like obviously it's hyperbolic for comedy, um, but not, you know, too outside of the realm. Yeah. And we also thought it was interesting kind of how common this is. So this is much more common in kids. We see it about like 17% around average. But for at least one episode, so this happening one time, the rates are closer to like like 10 to 30%. So pretty common Mm -hmm. among kids, um, much less likely in adults, closer to like 2 to 4% of adults. So this is a pretty unusual behavior or uncommon behavior for adults. And it definitely comes up more often when individuals are sleep deprived. Yes, and I think interestingly, again, um, it kind of tracks with what we saw with the failure to um, launch phenomenon is that we do see that it happens largely more in males. And same thing in sleepwalking. You know, it's it's funny because in childhood, females are actually more likely to engage in sleepwalking. But in adulthood, we see that males are more likely to do this. So, you know, Brennan and Dale, they're really tracking right along with these um, <laughs> with these stats. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then that kind of brings us, you know, towards um, the main, not main, but one of the main things we wanted to chat about, um, therapy. So Brennan and Dale are two men that have difficulty moving towards independence. We've seen the sibling rivalry as well as intense sleepwalking. Um, So when Nancy and Robert decide to separate, um, they tell Brennan and Dale that they have to move out on their own. They've set them up with apartments and that they also have to seek or they, not that they have to, but that they've also set them up with supportive therapy to kind of help them during this time. Um, I think it is kind of mandatory. I guess that's true. Yeah, they said they already set the appointments up for them, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think they're even like, what? We're not going to therapy. Like, they have that, you know, typical reaction of like, no, we're not doing that. We have to go to therapy? What the fuck happened? Hey! And yeah, yet, they end up in therapy anyway. Yes, yeah, so I think you're right. It is more kind of like a stipulation that they have to do it. Um, and... From an interview in The Ringer, uh, I thought that director Adam McKay had a really interesting to say kind of about like what we've been chatting about, like what is wrong with Dale and Brennan? (laughs) Um, And so in the original script, they actually had a whole part where the parents asked the same question, like what is wrong with Dale and Brennan? We need to get them help. So they take them to various professionals and have a whole battery of testing done to look at whether or not they maybe have like a cognitive disability or emotional trauma, really trying to get to the bottom of what is going on. And in the original script, the doctors end up all saying like, there's nothing wrong with them. We don't have any diagnoses. (laughs) And so we've been kind of looking at what might be wrong with Dale and Brennan. But Dr. Fran, like, how would you possibly treat a Dale or a Brennan if they were to walk into your office for treatment? Yeah, so well, hopefully they wouldn't respond the same way Brennan did about making a lot of (laughs) sexual advances, but let's pretend like that's not the case for just a few minutes. Um, I think that you bring up a good point about like the no diagnoses piece, because we also kind of debated whether we would give either of them a diagnosis and kind of came to the conclusion that we don't really have enough information to really Mm -hmm. land on anything, but that doesn't mean we couldn't treat them anyway, right? Not everyone who comes to therapy has a formal diagnosis. Um, Some things I thought about 
maybe giving some like social skills training. So both of them definitely struggle with kind of how to interact with people, like different boundaries, what's appropriate and not appropriate to say to people. Even just kind of holding a normal conversation is a little difficult for them sometimes. Um, And that's skills that we can teach in therapy a lot of times, maybe even like through a social skills group or something like that um, to get them kind of more involved in other people and kind of meeting people that are other adults that are appropriate (laughs) relationships for them to have, things like that. Definitely. I think another thing that really struck me um, was kind of assisting them in this transitional period. So helping them with some problem solving skills, right? Like we see, for example, a silly but real example in the movie is that Brennan runs out of toilet paper, right? And so he is having to clean his bottom with the bath mat because he doesn't know what else to do and then he's really proud of himself when he goes and buys toilet paper so you know it's obviously silly but trying to help them figure out and anticipate what problems might arise and how to Mm -hmm. generate solutions to help them solve that and help them set what we like to call smart goals so goals that are feasible and set them up for success by helping them to plan out how to move towards those goals Uh, one of the other things i was considering for Brennan and Dale was teaching them some coping skills to help with just that adjustment. So if they are feeling overwhelmed or anxious about being alone for the first time, or even if they're feeling really sad or blue about being alone or without their parents or even without each other. Um, So helping Mm -hmm. them to learn how to cope and adjust with that. And the last thing we had kind of thought about was like family therapy, right? Yes. (laughs) That would be such an interesting session to have (laughs) all of them including like Derek and all of them in a family therapy session it would take a very skilled therapist to be able to manage all of that it would be and it might be something that the family might have even you know benefited from in the past as well because like just things like limit setting you know it kind of seems like Dale and Brennan rule the roost for parts of the movie so just kind of having had some of those skills might have been helpful and could be helpful moving forward like how to best communicate with each other Um, And so one of the things that we wanted to share with you all now is, you know, Brennan and Dale go to therapy for the first time, and let's kind of listen in on how that goes. So Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I work at a college as a janitor, even though I feel like I'm smarter than most of the people that go there. Sometimes I see an equation written on a blackboard, like half an equation, and I'll just figure it out. Is this goodwill hunting? No. Sounds a lot like the plot of Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Anyway, my best friend is Ben Affleck. So I thought we'd begin talking about your parents' divorce. Okay. How old were you when they got divorced? Fifteen. It's a hard age. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. I love you so much. Thank you, and I will take that as a feeling that you have of comfortability with me it's more than comfortability i mean i fucking love you okay i i'm just thinking about our life together i feel like i'm walking on a cloud my penis is tingling right now that is so off-putting you're not feeling this in no way shape or form do i feel any feelings of intimacy towards you in any way whatsoever So in that clip, we hear Dale during his first therapy session, and it doesn't really seem like he's taking it very seriously. Um, But what I kind of love about this is it's like a callback to last week, or not last week, but last session rather, when we talked about Goodwill Hunting. Um, And kind of in a funny way, Dale is pretending that he is Will Hunting and telling that story as if it's his own to the therapist. So 
probably not going to be. So you're saying that wasn't his real life story? Unless he is also a janitor who is a genius. I do not believe so. (laughs) Um, And, you know, probably not going to be the most helpful or beneficial therapy session. And it is only, it's Dale's only scene that we see for therapy. (laughs) Yeah, so we might imagine that the therapist or that him and Dale kind of together decide that, you know, maybe you're not really buying into this. Maybe this isn't really for you right now. Like, let's just kind of call it here. Yeah. Maybe come back in the future when you're ready. Kind of situation. Exactly. We do see a lot more of Brennan with his therapist, though, right? Yes. So we see a few different interactions with them. And the first one we thought we'd spend a little bit of time talking about because that's what was played in the clip, right? Um, So one thing I noticed is that she does start with the divorce right off the bat. She's like, tell me about your parents' divorce. Is that (laughs) something you would normally ask like as one of your first few questions meeting someone? I would not. You know, typically in a first session with someone, I am trying to get to know them a little bit more broadly. So asking various questions. If... Brennan had come to me and said that maybe one of the main things he wanted to talk about or one of the main things he was struggling with was the divorce. Okay, then I think it's an appropriate uh, way Mm -hmm. to go from there, right? Getting more information about the divorce, his feelings, kind of what happened and gathering more information. That could be appropriate, but we don't really see that context. It kind of seems like that's how she's attempting to break the ice, which I would not do. (laughs) Yeah, because you never know like how sensitive of a topic that is and how comfortable people are talking about some of those difficult experiences they've been through. So usually... You want to develop more rapport, which is what we use to describe like the relationship and like kind of that trust in the relationship before you'd get into those more difficult topics. Definitely. One thing I kind of like that she does actually is she tries to validate Mm -hmm. him a little bit when he says um, how old he was when his parents got divorced. She's like, oh, yeah, that's a really hard age. That's Mm -hmm. kind of like those little things that we try to do as therapists to help try to validate our patients and kind of build that trust and that rapport of like trying to in some ways indicate like, oh, wow, like I understand your experience, at least to the extent that I can, like having not lived it as you did, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then we see apparently that strategy works, right? The therapist is validating and providing some empathy to what he's going through. And then Brennan right away says, I love you to the therapist. So um, how would you respond to something like that, Dr. Fran? Luckily, I have never had a patient or a client say that to me in this context. Um, I mean, I think in like at face value, the way she responds is kind of like naturally how one might respond, right? Of like, oh, well, like, that's interesting. You don't really know me. And she even Mm -hmm. tries to reframe it as like, oh, I guess like that means that you're really comfortable with me. Like that could be a good thing. Like she's trying to reframe it. So it's not, you know, she's redirecting it. So it's not a romantic thing, but maybe a kind of expression of like comfort or trust in the relationship. But I mean, I think that's a really tough situation that um, therapists do sometimes have to handle is how to respond when patients make statements or comments about having romantic feelings towards you. Yeah, definitely. And I would agree with you, Dr. Fran. I have never personally had that experience, Uh, definitely not so explicitly. I think in part, you know, I do mostly work with children, but I've worked with adults and young adults as well. Um, But I would agree with that general approach. I think it's more like maybe if someone does express those kind of feelings, kind of initially being able to explore it with them, talking about what that might mean, what that might mean for the therapeutic relationship and for therapy moving forward. Yeah. And kind of thinking about, I think we can understand in that moment why Brennan feels like 
at least to some extent, some like connection with her. He doesn't have a lot of friends. He doesn't have a lot of adult relationships that we see besides like his relationship with his mom and now with like Dale and Robert. (laughs) So we can kind of understand to some extent why he does have this sense of like close connection with her, maybe not as intensely as he expresses it or as quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there is space to explore that in the therapeutic relationship and then trying to help the patient or the uh, client kind of understand that like that's not an appropriate relationship to have with your therapist and are there other ways that we can kind of reframe that or redirect that so we can still move forward with a professional relationship yes but unfortunately at least in the case of stepbrothers and with brennan we do see that this is a reoccurring theme for this therapist and brennan (laughs) so um at one point in the movie while they're decorating the Christmas tree, Nancy says to Brennan, like, oh, hey, your therapist called you and said that she cannot go out with you and she is just your therapist. And Brennan kind of dismisses that comment and says, like, oh, like, she's always, like, joking around like that rascal. Um, (laughs) So we can see that he is still trying and maybe still making some um, not-so-professional comments to the therapist. Um, At one point, I think it's the second session that he goes to that we actually see, um, he calls the therapist Angel Face. <laughs> Dr. Angel Face, I just want to say thank you for meeting me on such short notice. Don't call me Angel Face. Um, <laughs> I've never had a patient call me Angel Face either. <laughs> no, I've never had anyone call me Angel Face. Yeah, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, she kind of tries to nip that one right away and says don't call me angel face and this session even though it's very silly and very kind of like you know maybe beyond what would be expected they do have a conversation like he asks her like how do i be an adult right so he's asking like do i have to carry my diploma around like do i wash my clothes in the dishwasher so he's trying to get a sense of like how he's expected to act now that he's an adult and i think this is a little bit close to what we were talking about in terms of problem solving and goal setting just in a little mm-hmm. bit of a sillier way <laughs> yeah that's one maybe one of the only minor parts of the therapy scenes that like could be stretched to be a little <laughs> bit more realistic yeah. of like this is a topic that would one would cover in therapy, just probably in a different way. Hopefully, most of the people we're seeing um, would not be asking these questions. But yes, but maybe. you never know. <laughs> and so then we come to the climax of the movie, the Catalina wine mixer. It's the Catalina wine mixer. It's the fucking Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> yeah, a big deal. People have killed to be in the position that I'm in. He's right, Dad. It's a big deal. I would love to go to the, a Catalina wine mixer. It sounds super fun. Me too. <laughs> um, so we see um, another scene with the therapist present. So let's play a quick clip from that as well. Hello, Brennan. Denise. Hi. Hey. Robert, Mom, Derek. This is my girlfriend, Denise. Oh, hi. How are you? Uh, actually, I'm his therapist. We are in absolutely no way dating. Right. Um, Brennan told me he was going to hurl his body off a helicopter into shark-infested water, so I had a legal obligation to be here. I get it. <laughs> Don't want to appear too eager, and that is a good strategy, uh, like too. <laughs> you are an enabler. You think you're helping, and but you're not. And you are a keeper. What'd you think? Brennan, I thought you were incredibly brave. And I mean that in strictly the most clinical and professional sense possible with no emotional, intimate, sexual, or any other undertones that you could possibly infer. God, you're gonna make me cry. What poem is that from? Is that James Joyce? 
Another great scene. Again, Dr. Sam and I are giggling as we're watching <laughs> these clips. Yep. I mean, I've never um, read those words by James Joyce, but quite the poet. <laughs> they are very poetic. Um, so I think one thing that both of us are struck by from this scene is that the therapist shows up after getting a call from Brennan that he's going to kill himself by jumping off of um, a helicopter, right, into shark-infested waters. Yes. So, Dr. Sam, if your patient called you and said that, would you go to the Catalina wine mixer? No. I mean, there are a variety of factors that are just so inappropriate about that response. So, for one, like, how long did it take her? She arrives, like, on a ferry or a boat. Like, how long does it take her to get to the Catalina wine mixer? And by then, who knows what her patient might have endured or, you know, done. So, definitely yeah, that's a good point. definitely not the safest or fastest way to act. Um, typically, if we were working with an individual who was threatening to harm themselves we, you know, I think with an adult, probably the best course of action would be to alert the proper authorities to do a check and make sure that the individual was safe. Um, I would mm-hmm. not, despite however uh, interested I am in attending the Catalina wine mixer, get on a boat, train, and or ferry to try to stop him myself. <laughs> yeah, because that puts you in a really um, kind of precarious situation legally. If you show up, like we're not trained medical professionals, different no. things like that. Like, um, so the best course of action really is to try to get a hold of the individual if it's a kid or if you do have like a release to talk to a family member or something calling like another safe individual to try to you know check in on the person and get them back on the phone so you can kind of talk them through what's going on but then really having to result to police or some other kind of legal authorities if it comes down to it. Exactly. And Dr. Fran touched on some important points right there. So in our work with um, minors, so anyone under the age of 18, we can um, and we should uh, share if there has been any threats about or uh, threats uh, pertaining to safety with their parents or guardians. Um, When it is an adult, however, unless you have a specific signed release of information to share with another adult, you know, that's a little bit different. We're not able to do that. So also that therapist, when she just kind of blurts out to everyone there at the party um, that Brennan had made comments about wanting to kill himself, not appropriate. Yeah, definitely. There are some other interesting parts of that clip where she does kind of like acknowledge his bravery and then she really tries to like dial it back and be like, but this is in no way like romantic or sexual or anything else that you might interpret it. It is professional. And so again, we see her trying to make these boundaries and like be very clear and Brennan and even his parent or like his mom, Nancy, they just don't even, it doesn't phase them. They're like, oh, that's so cute. Wow. You're a keeper, right? Yeah. And then the therapist says, you're an enabler. And I would agree with that part of what she says. Yeah. (laughs) And we've also talked about, like, if you have a patient that you're working with who is continuing to kind of cross boundaries and not really um, kind of responding to you working to set those limits and things like that and working towards having a professional relationship, at some point you are in your right to recommend that that person see another therapist. Really, you're not going to – they're not going to get as much out of the therapeutic relationship if they're kind of continuing to have these difficulties separating that romantic from that professional relationship. Um, So it is appropriate and something we would do would be trying to find someone else for that person to see where they might be able to actually be more productive in their relationship. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if she's having to make that qualification about this is in no way romantic, sexual, um, that's kind of a little flag right there that maybe if you're having to explain everything you're saying to your patient, um, you're not heading down the best track with them. Yeah. And so we see like six months later, 
after the Catalina <laughs> wine mixer. Um, they have kind of a family dinner and the therapist is there and we're like, oh, that's interesting, right? No one saw this coming. Um, and they do insinuate that they're in a romantic relationship. To be fair, they don't actually explicitly ever show them romantically involved or sexually involved or anything like that. But there's definitely a heavy, heavy hint that that's what's going on at this point. Exactly. And, you know, this unfortunately will be a topic that we will cover a little more in depth with other TV shows and movies as we do see it come up in the media often. But in this case, you know, um, is that okay? Is that allowed? Like, are we uh, cool with Brennan and this therapist dating, Dr. Fran? (laughs) We are definitely not cool with it. So (laughs) the um, American Psychological Association or the APA Ethics Code um, also has some pretty specific things to say about engaging sexually with your patients or clients. Um, Specifically, this is actually interesting. They say that you can engage with sexual intimacies with former patients for at least two years after you finish therapy. Um, So maybe if this had said two years later and now they're dating, (laughs) maybe she wouldn't get as much in as much trouble with the APA. Um, But they even say after that two year period, it's not like a free for all that you can start going and dating all your patients. It really should still be in what they say under very unusual circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like I mentioned, I think we can dive into this a little more heavily with um, some other TV shows and movies where we see much more explicit relationships. Um, But even this, like you mentioned, the therapist just happens to be at dinner with the family. She makes a comment that kind of makes it seem like they're together. Brennan sure can wear the shit out of that pirate hat. And six months later, even if it had been later, like Dr. Fran said, not something we or the APA are cool with. No, definitely not. And that is a good transition into... PH Don'ts. This is not a safe place. Sorry, are you going to like keep touching me like that? That guy is a total loon. But I cannot talk about my clients. I cannot talk about my clients. Oh, that's it. Great, great job, everybody. Thank you. This is the segment where we describe things in the movie that therapists do not, or at least should not, do. Do not fantasize about your patient. Even if they sound like a combination between Fergie and Jesus. Do not date your patient. Even if he rocks the hell out of that pirate hat. (laughs) So with all of that said and done, Dr. Fran, how do you feel or what do you think about Step Brothers overall? And then with its portrayal of psychology. So I think I would give it a thumbs up for overall movie. I actually, when I recently rewatched this, I watched it with someone who had never seen this movie. I was shocked that she had never seen it. Um, And it was really funny watching it with someone who hadn't seen the movie before because her reactions were just hilarious and I was dying (laughs) laughing through the whole thing. But I think overall it's a funny movie. It's got so many like quotable scenes and, um, you know, memes and different things that are just really... Um, kind of funny and things like that. In terms of the therapy portrayal, I'm going to give it a thumbs down because that's just kind of an automatic rating when you are romantically involved with your patient. So, Yes, I, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. So I think overall, like for me, Step Brothers is like how I like to say a typical Will Ferrell movie. So I feel like the more I watch it, for some reason, it just gets funnier. Like every time I watch yeah. it, I laugh more. I don't know if it's the anticipation or I know all the words, whatever it is. I just think it becomes funnier and funnier. So definitely thumbs up for the movie. And I agree. The overall um, portrayal of therapy, big time thumbs down. But I will say, like after having looked a little bit more into kind of the um, 
failure to launch phenomenon as well as the sleepwalking and just kind of thinking about it from a different lens in terms of my own research I feel like the those constructs or those concepts were actually very interesting and in line with a lot of the research that we found so I think that that was kind of cool given that it is such a silly Mm -hmm. comedy yeah that's a good point and you actually quote this movie a lot with your family and like friends and stuff right what are some of your favorite go-to quotes from Step Brothers oh yes we definitely quote this movie way too much for some reason I really like to quote the part where um Brennan is burying Dale alive and Dale's like I'm alive Brennan I'm alive (laughs) and then we always quote the car scene we'll like pretend to do the singing and just like you're flat you're flat you don't even look good while you're singing um and just a lot of the quotes it's such a funny movie I feel like another common one, and I had this experience when I watched it, where you think you know the quote from a movie, and it's actually not exactly the quote. So though, like, I've always said there's so much room for activities, but that's not actually what he says. It's something more like, there's so much space, and like, so many activities, or something like that. Look at all this more space! So much aerobics in here! So many activities! But like oh. the way I remember it is like a slightly different version of that. That's interesting. And I wonder because uh, actually in making this episode, we also watched various trailers of the movies. And I noticed that mm-hmm. the trailers had different language than the movie. So sometimes they'll do that. Oh. They'll cut the trailer. Um, and I believe in reading kind of some behind the scenes article about this movie that Step Brothers, they actually had like there's a four hour cut out there somewhere of Step Brothers with oh all of the other content that they had um, filmed, but obviously it got whittled down. So I think sometimes what we see in the trailer can be from other scenes that don't make it to the movie or variations. So maybe somewhere out there that's like um, in a trailer or something, and that's why it's quoted that way, I wonder. Yeah. You're, I appreciate that you're trying to make me feel better for misquoting one of these classic movies. But it's because everyone says it that way. So that's why I'm curious. I'll have to look into that. Maybe I'll uh, keep you guys posted next session. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, you know, I guess it's kind of time to wrap it up. That ends our session for Step Brothers. So we definitely want you to let us know your thoughts on the movie. We'd also love to hear what questions that you have about psychology or other movies and TV shows that you want us to put on our couch and break down next. Don't forget to check out our website at freudianscripts.com for additional information. Find and follow us on our social media accounts. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review. Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon, our creative director, Eric, and webmaster, Don. 